Hey everyone, this is Turk182, back with part two of my solo episode. I apologize to everyone for the severe lateness of this, but as Akomi said in his, that we've been having some difficulty with trying to get together and just everything that's going on has been so chaotic that it just makes some of this just so, so much harder than it needs to be, so much harder than we want it to be. So it's taken me a little bit of time here, unfortunately, but uh, I'm finally back with part two of my solo episode with Lost and the Forgotten, Lost and Forgotten Part 2. Garen darted back and forth across the apartment floor with long, deliberate strides. Moving from the bed, where his open travel bag laid, splayed open like a gutted fish, to the bedroom closet, back to the bed, over to the chest of drawers, back to the bed, then to his work desk, and back to the bed. Trudy watched in exhaustion as he hurried back and forth, picking up items from one place and taking them to the bed only to change his mind after the next trip and carry them back where they came from. Explain it to me again, she said. Trudy took the red and silver Dust Warriors movie t-shirt from his hands and placed it back inside the travel bag. She started doing that with everything he tried to take out of the bag for the third or fourth time. I understand that having a nightmare about your mother's death is scary, but why are you so troubled about having the same dream again? Garen looked into the bag, back at the open chest of drawers, and back at the bag. He reached down to pull a different t-shirt back out, but was met with a sharp sting of Trudy's long, delicate fingers in the back of his hand. He quickly withdrew his injured hand and looked up at her, his eyes slowly turned down to the vintage Coyote Midnight hockey jersey, deciding once more against taking it, and then back up to Trudy's stern face and cocked back arm. Sit, she said, pointing down at the small, uncluttered section of the bed next to the bag. Garen chose to stride back over to the bedroom closet and retrieve a pair of boots from the back corner. The boots were the color of a school blackboard that had been erased but not washed. The ragged boots looked like they were two good intentions from falling apart. I can't sit, Garen replied, while he stuffed the boots in the bag. He tried to sneak the jersey out at the same time and was rewarded with another stabbing twinge of pain across his hand. He waved the wounded limb vigorously in the air to lessen the pain and gave his girlfriend a scrunched look of dislike. Back to the closet. If I stop and sit, I'll try to talk myself out of going, and I can't. Garen slid the hangered clothes east and west, searching the shelves behind them. I shouldn't. He walked slowly back over to the bed. This was the slowest he'd moved since deciding he had to go. His eyes scanned the bed and bedroom like the cleaning drone, looking to see where he might have missed. Underwear, Trudy answered for him, and he was back to the chest of drawers again. What does your nightmare have to do with going back to your old house? Garen threw a handful of boxer briefs in the nearly overflowing bag, and snuck a peek at Trudy and her whip-like arm. She met his gaze with knowing anticipation. Garen reached slowly towards the open bag and pulled a semi-flexible top down, never breaking her gaze. His fingers explored the split railroad track teeth of the opening until he found the zipper. It wasn't a nightmare, it was a dream, he said, pulling the zipper carefully as not to catch anything in it. At least, I think it was. With the bag closed, he finally sat down. I've always remembered having the dream but not the dream itself. I know it doesn't make any sense. I thought the dream was gone, another set of fragmented memories repurposed and discarded, but having it again last night, the exact same dream, it's got me thinking. Trudy reached across the bag and grabbed his forearm. How do you know it was the same dream? Maybe it's the remnants of those other memories and it just seems the same. No, Garen replied, laying his hands across hers. It's the same one. Exactly how I remembered it, he corrected himself. Not as I remember, but the way it felt. It was like I'd felt it all before. And the man who 
The man in the room, he just walked through the wall like it wasn't there. The ghost, Trudy questioned. She hoped her tone would make him question it too. I don't think it was a ghost. I went back into the room weeks later when they were packing the house up and I was moving in with the Castlebrooks. They cleaned the room up and most of mom's equipment was gone, reclaimed by the company. I looked at the wall. Something seemed off, not quite right. But this was before the procedure and I hadn't really slept in a few days. I hadn't had the dream yet. Garen's eyes squinted shut as he concentrated on the story. He started wondering if any of it was real. Why would these memories remain intact? Were they memories? Was his mind making this up at that moment? Maybe he ran out of real memories to make dreams of, so he started making fake ones so he had more material to keep the illusion factory going. Something he'd learned long ago was that the brain is a selfish, power-hungry dictator. It can convince other parts of the body that it's sick when it isn't, healthy when it's dying, and will cannibalize every organ and strip of flesh and bone to keep itself alive. Maybe it didn't mind going insane as long as it was still alive. Now, Garen said, returning to conscious thought, it's like something triggered in me when I had that dream again. I need to know. He rose from the bed and moved aimlessly across the floor. Outside the dream, the last time I saw my mom was at dinner, I think. I was sitting at the small table we had in there. I heated up some roast from a day or two before. She came in to get a drink, maybe, or snack bag, told me to eat my food and chew slower, and straight to bed when I was done. I didn't even see her leave the kitchen. The next day I woke up to a room full of people and a woman giving me a forced smile and telling me to put on my shoes and coat and we're going for a walk. I didn't go into mom's office that night. Hadn't been there for days. Garen stopped walking and was standing in the middle of the bedroom with his back to Trudy. He spun slowly and looked at her. Maybe these are real memories. The events surrounding them were so strong, so intense that they can't be dumped. Maybe they're anchored in my subconscious. If so, then maybe related events are anchored too. If so, I mean, if. What I'm feeling might also be true. Trudy scooted to the edge of the bed. She sat upright with both feet planted on the floor. What are you feeling? I don't have a memory of it, but I keep... I have this nagging feeling. That wall. There used to be a door there. Garen walked back to the bed and put both hands on the travel bag. His hands trembled and his legs felt like two balloons with the air slowly being let out. I have to go back to the house. Go inside the room. I need to see if anything else in my head wakes up or if none of it's real and I'm on the verge of madness. Trudy stood and padded across the floor to the large cedar wardrobe that she'd claimed solely for herself. She opened it just long enough to reach in and grab a small item from the second to last drawer. Closed the doors and silently walked back. Here, she handed Garen a foot-long metal rod that had the circumference of an old silver dollar. I want you to take the professor with you. Who? he questioned, staring quizzically at the electrical-powered pipe in his hand. My dad gave it to me. It's a fighting baton. He called it the professor, because if it came out, somebody was getting taught a lesson. Trudy let out a nostalgic laugh at the dad joke. He gave it to me for protection when I was studying gymnastics in the southern block of Eastern Europe. Garen studied the metal baton, turning it end over end in his hands. It has, Trudy reached over and pointed at the buttons on the side, density shift buttons. It can go from 5 pounds up to 30 pounds. I never turned it up past 7. Even then, it was a bit too much for me to swing. A density shift. Garen repeated absentmindedly. He pushed the power button and started tapping the plus button above it. He could feel the charged magnets inside the metal tube pushing against each other. The mass of the baton didn't increase, but the energy density between the polarized magnets did. 
the micro vibrations from the energy generated made the baton feel heavier. And when it hit something, the energy was released through the inertial impact, making it feel like you were hitting with a 30 pound rod. Garen dialed the density shift down to five pounds, its lowest setting, and turned it off. The baton hummed with diminished excitement as the energy's density slowly dissipated. Wow, he exclaimed. I can't imagine how much that must have cost. Garen opened the zippered mouth of the bag just enough to slip the baton inside and closed it back. I just want you to be safe. Trudy put her taunt, subtly defined arms around his neck. Are you sure you want me to come with you? I can pack a bag in a tenth of the time it took you. I don't know what any of this means, if it means anything. But if there's something more than just what I think it is, I don't want you caught in the middle. Garen kissed her lips softly. It was the last time he'd see her. Jeez, how could he even think that? But if it was the last time, he wanted to be full of love and not desire. I don't want you caught in the middle either. I've been in the middle for years. Now I'm finally moving forward. The raging winds calmed as he turned right down the cross street of Alton Drive. The houses to his left buffered him from the forceful winds, but Garen remained bundled in his coat and hat. He'd occasionally raise his head, and his eyes would dart back and forth, getting a quick look at his surroundings before dropping his head back and hunching his shoulders. As his feet carried him closer to his old house, he wondered why he was being so guarded, so clandestine, afraid of being seen or recognized by anyone. Did he really think someone was out to get him, or was it his own insecurities taking over? Being paranoid because you don't know who you are, what you may have done in the past, who you might have hurt? Garen was mulling this over in his head when he realized he had stopped walking. He looked to the right and saw the house he grew up in. The house he was unceremoniously taken from. The house where his mother was killed. He didn't know how long he'd been standing there wondering to himself about who he was. He turned to go up the walk but decided he should relax first and try to look like he was there to rob the current owners. He released the collar and lapels of his coat and smoothed them out. He raised the edge of the knit cap from just above his eyebrows to just below his hairline. He straightened his posture and tried to put an expression of welcome ease on his face. The new, approachable Garen stepped up on the porch and rang the doorbell. He could just make out the soft, artificial voice calling out, You have a visitor at the front door. He waited a while for someone to answer. It had been over a minute and he hadn't heard so much as a, Hold on or go away. He was just about to push the button again when the door opened. The front door creeped open cautiously. It stopped when the space between the edge of the door and the door frame were almost a foot apart. Wide enough to stick an arm or leg through, but not much else. The face that appeared in a small opening was that of a man who appeared to be in his late fifties. His hair was gray at the temples and edges of his slightly receding hairline, but primarily a honey wheat color everywhere else. The older man's left hand was hidden behind the door, presumably still holding the doorknob. The right hand was in the open space of the door, suspended near the top of his head, almost hiding his thinning hair. The hand was turned outward as if he was shielding himself from the shards of bitter wind that snaked through the spaces between the houses and trees and charged angrily towards him. In the palm of his hand he held a small card about the size of an ID card or badge. The reflective coating caught the stray threads of sunlight and batted them away like glowing tennis balls, right into Garen's eyes. Garen blinked and winced as he was suddenly and temporarily blinded. He started to speak but could only stammer as he tried to regain his fake composure. I, I, uh, I, uh... Uh, hi, uh, he sputtered out pieces of senses that escaped his thoughts as he tried to speak them. He blinked furiously, trying to flush away the spots and crackles in his eyes. Garen started again. His forced smile was even worse this time, twisted and fractured. I, um, I'm sorry to bother you, 
My name's Karen. He tripped over his words, but was happy he'd at least formed two sentences. I know this, this sounds crazy, a bit preposterous even, but I used to live here. I was wondering if I could come in and look around. The old man stared blankly at him. Neither spoke for several seconds. Garen tried to brighten his smile and look harmless. Judging by the lack of change in the older man's expression, he assumed he failed. What'd you say your name was again? The new owner broke the silence. Garen? Uh, yeah, he responded in shock. You say you used to live here? Yeah, as a boy. My bedroom was the one right across from the bathroom. My mom used to say it was too big for a boy my age, but it was right across the hall from the bathroom. Less chance of me getting lost in the middle of the night. The older man looked past Garen at the empty street. The wind howled a new threat and pushed more of its invisible army through the spaces between the homes. He quickly shut the door as soon as his visitor was fully inside, cutting off the limbs of the intangible barbarians that pounded on his walls. Used to live here, the man repeated. He escorted Garen from the foyer into the living room. Garen's eyes scanned every part of the house. It was just as he remembered it, or thought he did. Yes, sir, Garen replied, remembering his manners. Well, I think I did. I'm sorry, I was fairly young at the time. I've come to learn that I can't always trust my memories from such a young age. He was proud of the half-truth he told the complete stranger, who had no idea whether anything he said was truth or a lie. Oh, the new owner said with sudden recollection. You're that young boy. Your mother was killed in this house. I turned that room into my study. The man's blunt reply slammed Gary in the chest and stole the air from his lungs. He felt a little light head and his stomach quivered. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was me. Full disclosure. Can't sell a house without full disclosure. Fire, earthquake, meteor, murder. Realtor has to tell it all. The man looked Garen up and down, paying particular notice to his shaky stance. Have a seat before you fall over. He gestured the wooden chair at the writing desk. Garen slid the chair out and tried to ease his trembling form into it. Must be kind of rough for you. They say you saw the whole thing. I imagine that's why you're back. Put the rest of those demons in your head. No, Garen squeaked out. His mouth felt like it was full of gauze and belonged to someone else. You look like you could use a drink. How about a glass of water? Nope. I think this calls for a glass of scotch. What do you think? The man stepped out of the room before hearing Garen's answer. Yes, no, yes. Garen couldn't think straight. It was all too much. Being back at the house, hearing the older man talk so cavalierly about his mother's death, he couldn't get his bearings. This was a mistake. The new owner quickly returned with a single glass of scotch in one hand and a cord of rope. He took a seat on the arm of the couch close to Garen. I love wordplay. I bet you thought I was asking if you wanted water or scotch. Ha! <laughs> oh, one of the first things they teach you is word evasion. Forming sentences in such a way that the other person thinks you've told them what they want to know, but you haven't. It's how you beat lie detectors. You arrange your words to tell them a lie, but is the truth to you. The man took a slow, steady sip of the scotch. He exhaled deeply, savoring the flavor. <sighs> Damn, I'm glad Travis Verum is dead. He knew. He knew you'd come back here one day. He staked my life on it. My whole damn career. Stuck me in this house playing Van Winkle for 20 years. He'd bet me you'd come back. Man, if he wasn't dead. Hell, I'd probably have to kill him because there's no way I could pay him. Garen tried to focus on what the man was saying, but his mind was split on trying to stand up and wonder why he couldn't. Stop trying to move and be a docile little kitten until I finish my drink. You see this? 
He held up the small reflective card that he was holding when he opened the door. Synaptic disruptor. Sent a sequence of light flashes in those little video cameras in your eye sockets. Like a soft reboot of your brain. Brain can't just shut down and start back up again. That's called death. So, it takes sections of itself offline and starts them up again. Some parts, like movement, take a little longer to boot than others. But thankful that heart and lungs are quick starters for you to learn firsthand how it feels to have a mild heart attack and temporary asphyxiation. <laughs> he said with a mild shudder at the end. The muscles in Garen's legs spasmed, rippling up his body as they tensed and released. He thought if he could just get to his feet, he could support himself on something long enough to get his legs under him. Garen twisted his body to the right, lifting and dragging his limp arm behind him. It took all the concentration and energy he had to flip his hand over so the palm was against the cushioned seat. Now he just had to find the strength to push up to get his body upright. Don't think so, his captor taunted. He pushed Garen to the back of the chair with little effort. The older man set the near empty glass of scotch on the writing desk and started unwinding the rope. He held the looped end in each hand and flipped the slack middle over Garen's head and into his lap. He let a few feet uncoil from his right hand and whipped it around the left side of the incapacitated visitor. He repeated this a few more times before drawing it tight and knotting it behind the chair. Garen's captor picked up the glass and took a half sip, splitting the remnants into two swallows. He spun the chair around to observe his handiwork. Nah, could have done better. I'm out of practice. The old man started to walk off and stopped, turning back to Garen. You know why I'm out of practice? Because of you. He slung the melting ice cubes from the glass into his prisoner's chest. They hit the multicolored filaments and slid down to his lap, leaving rainbow tears as they fell. I was one of the tops in the branch. Because of you, I get saddled playing homeowner, cutting grass, and doing home repairs, making a tenth of what I would in the field. Now, they'll say I'm too old for the field. Out of practice. Times have changed, they'll say. We use different tactics now. Our enemies aren't the same as they were when you were on assignment. Like this was my choice. The older man's hateful gaze remained fixed on Garen as he strode from the living room and into the kitchen. He stopped just inside the room and opened the door to a small closet next to the auto compost bin. Inside the room were several brooms of different sizes, a sponge-headed mop and an old-fashioned cotton-head mop with thick, ropey threads. At the back utility closet were a handful of shelves, appropriately spaced to the height of the various cleaning products that sat on them. The man's head swung around and quickly peered into the semi-lit room. He cursed under his breath and snapped his head back at his trussed-up Christmas goose. There was a glint in the angry man's eyes that Garen knew for sure was delight. He may have been enraged at being trapped in that house for so many years because of Garen, but at that moment, he was happy the little boy had returned home. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to get the revenge he longed for. The corners of his mouth twitched as if he were suppressing a smile, or, Garen wondered, to keep from salivating. The vengeful man studied his listless prisoner before ducking into the cramped room. Garen pulled his shoulders back and tried to sit up straight. What little slack he had due to his arm being awkwardly twisted behind his back was negated by the same twisted arm. And there was the uncomfortable spindle from the chair back driving into his spine. Spindle, he thought to himself. Garen wiggled his fingers to try and touch the chair rail that was making his last moments even more painful. His fingertips caught the curved side of the rail and it slid away from their unwanted advances, relieving the pressure from his spine. Not a chair rail. The professor. The rope man wormed his cramping arm further behind his back. He scooted his butt a quarter turn in the wooden chair, putting the side of his right bicep against the chair back. He leaned into the chair support, 
forcing his aching arm further behind himself and his fingers closer to the professor. His muscles and tendons strained as he tried to make them more malleable than they actually were. His teeth clenched tight against the pain as he fought back the urge to cry out in agony. His entire lower jaw started to throb, and without the smallest grunt he was able, it was much louder than he anticipated. Garen's eyes shot through the closet door, panicked they may have alerted the hostage-taker to his efforts to escape. He stretched his fingers out while impossibly willing them to elongate like a science fiction movie alien. His phalanges didn't grow, but his forced contortions moved them close enough to hook the metal rod at their first bend. His trembling digits reeled the only hope for his freedom into his hand. Garen closed his eyes and envisioned the tiny control bumps on the base of the baton. He turned it on and slid the density shift to the max, so he hoped. The metal rod began to hum and vibrate, almost forcing itself out of his loose grip. The nocturnal amnesiac put all of his remaining strength in his legs and pitched all of his weight forward. The legs of the chair lifted from the floor and arced up. His own legs were unsteady and he took a few steps forward and backward to keep his balance. The kitchen closet door closed with a solid thump and a sharp click. What the hell? The bitter homeowner looked at the struggling prisoner with anger, disbelief, and a dash of hilarity. The impetus of his misery stood on quivering legs, hunched over like an old man with a chair tied to his back, like a child's pretend rocket pack. Garen turtled his head forward and rolled his eyes to the top of their stock as he his jailer. Not going to make it easy, are you? Hell, Garen said through gritted teeth. No! Good, his adversary said with a perverse smile. With that, Garen swung his upper body backwards. He threw his feet forward and his body was suspended for a second or two and swiftly crashed several feet down to the floor. If he screamed when he hit the floor, he didn't hear it. He definitely screamed. Pain radiated through his body like shockwaves from an explosion. The back of his head collided with the floor, causing him to black out for a few seconds. His back yelled obscenities at him as splinters from the broken chair back forced themselves into his soft but resilient flesh of his back. Some were more persistent and made entry into his skin. His arm barked commands of anger and pain, trapped between its own body and the now broken chair and hard floor. His shoulder issued threats of dislocation, as if wanting to separate from his body due to its mistreatment. The rope, still lassoed around his chest, lay limp like seaweed in low tide. Garen's abductor stared in bewilderment at his twisted, prostrated body. The chair was broken and the rope slack, but the man was in no position to run away. Garen started to laugh, and those minor muscle movements forced his body to issue more warning messages by way of pain, and the laugh quickly turned into a smiling wince. Trapped between his body and the floor, between his arm and the chair, was the professor. It hummed a hypnotic tune of concussive force as the charge quickly built up again. It was a charged energy release that freed him. When his body slammed down to the floor, the baton hit the back of the chair and released the stored energy. While the chair and floor took the brunt of the force charge, his back also took a large hit. He can only imagine the color wheel of bruises he'd have later. The freed man locked eyes with his enemy and slowly stood. He wrenched his battered arm from behind his back and revealed the key to his escape. A block knocker? The man said incredulously. Where'd you get a block knocker? He repeated the old school term for the close combat weapon. Her father called it the professor, Garen huffed. Her father? The man said with vanishing curiosity. Whatever. The new homeowner raised his arm to reveal a hollow metal rod that was a couple inches short of being a foot long. It looked like a golden straw, but twice as wide, with a dollar-sized flourished disc around the middle, about halfway up its length. 
The man gave the disc a turn with his thumb, and the gold straw began to emit a low-pitched shriek. The man flicked his wrist up at the end table to his right. The far end of the metal straw was about half a foot away from the elatium metal table. For the briefest of seconds, Garen thought he saw something waver at the end of the straw. He focused more on the table and saw a smooth, narrow, inch-long gash in the metal. This is a howler, the melee cousin to the whistler. You know what a whistler is, don't you? It's the gun that was used to slaughter your mother while you watched, all helpless and frightened. The forced air blade was almost impossible to see. The charged forced air cut so clean and efficiently that muscle and nerves weren't immediately aware they'd been severed. It was said that disembodied limbs would continue to move, following the body's last command. A person wouldn't know they'd been cut until several seconds after the initial strike. It was a perfect weapon for trained assassins who were able to make close-quarter attacks and be a fair enough distance away before the victim realized their life was ending. The hateful man tucked his left arm behind his back and waved his arm in a figure-eight motion a few times, then pointed the hollow metal straw garin like a fencer holding a rapier. The howler is extremely deadly and equally as illegal as your knocker. Garin raised his arm, turned the arm to the side as if he were curling barbells, and pulled his elbow to his hip. The charged baton was horizontal to the ground. My mother was killed before my eyes, and my entire life I didn't know if that was a memory or a bad dream. And you think pain is living a quiet, normal life and not being able to kill someone? You have no idea what real pain is. He tightened his grip on the baton handle. Don't worry. I'll teach you. End of part two. Thank you, everyone, for listening, checking us out. Feel free to uh, check out some more of our podcast episodes. Uh, Comey and I will be doing one or two more solo episodes, and then we will be back to doing our regular schedule. Our moms think we're funny. Um, I may be back with some more, or at least trying to wrap up uh, this story of Lost and Forgotten. So uh, if you guys get a chance, you can tell us what you think of uh, Lost and Forgotten, and of course, also of... Akomi's solo text-based adventure stories, which I find hilarious, but of course I am kind of biased. All right, thank you all very much, and we will see you next time. Zang, yo.